This is our week of prayer and fasting, at least for our winter version of that. We'll do this twice a year, and we'll spend the whole week just focused on prayer. We'll spend the whole week. Uh, for some of you, you're going you're gonna to fast different things. Okay, and I'm not necessarily going to discuss fasting today. I really had an option of talking all about prayer, all about fasting, or trying to mix both, and I focused on prayer today. Um, fasting is going to look so different for everybody here. Some of you, you're going to do a classic food fast, and you're going to say, hey, there's, I'm going to take a particular type of fasting, like a Daniel fast, or, or I'm going to do juices only, or juices and broths, and those types of things. For some of you, um, you wouldn't survive 30 minutes on that, okay? So you're going to do uh, something different. Uh, some of you are going to do technology. You're going to say, I'm going to take a break from things, and unplug and not spend as much time um, watching TV or, or movies, and I'm going to spend that time that I would normally spend doing that uh, focused on God and meditating on Him. And so um, it's really uh, whatever you want uh, to, to do. I want to leave a lot of room there for you to be able to ask God, what do you want me to do? Um, I think it could be very easy as a church to take a stance on it and try to lead you to something but I really prefer that you just hear from God and go with what you feel in your spirit to do this, this week as we dedicate this time to prayer and fasting. So I'll cover that schedule again as we end today. But I want to start with a, a story, and I've told this many times, and even sometimes when I'm, when I'm speaking outside of churches, I, I use this story because it's so good in terms of development. And when we talk about uh, developmental things like like prayer, and so uh, the story goes that I had a, a close friend, and um, this guy was on a missions trip in Africa, and they landed in this um, in a very rural area, dirt airstrip, and the um, place where they picked up their their luggage was really just an open air. Uh, pavilion that they had built, and they were stacking luggage, and he was on his way to get his, and he quickly grabbed his bag, and he's on his way to the next thing, and he sees this guy, this local artisan, and he's got these blocks of wood stacked around him, and he takes one of those blocks of wood, and he takes this these objects that are really sharp, and these, these different whittling tools, and he just goes to town on this block of wood. And before too long, he shapes that block of wood into a giraffe. And he'll set it down, and quickly people were buying them up as they just saw him, saw him you know, forming them. And so my friend just found himself mesmerized by this process. And so he just sat there and stared at him, and before too long he realized he wasn't even holding his bag anymore. He was just sitting there watching this guy. And he watched him do two or three of these giraffes, really quick out of this, and finally the guy looked at him and he said, hey, do you want to know how I, I, I do this? And my friend was like, yeah. And he said, well, I take everything that doesn't look like a giraffe and I take it away. And <laughs> in some sense, this is exactly how we are when we approach God sometimes. A lot of potential. He's the master artisan. He sees something in us. And it's his job to take away everything that doesn't look like his will for our lives 
and it's our job to let him. So we surrender our lives to him, and he shapes us all the way to the last breath. That hopefully in the end, we've become something along the journey that we never expected we could become. And the reason I, I show you this visual of an unshaped piece of wood is because I want you to know it is from this place that we pray. We pray from this place of things that don't yet exist, of praying realities in toward our lives, of asking God to come into our lives in bigger and better ways so that we can become less of ourselves and more like, like Him. But this process of being shaped is often painful. It requires trial. It requires pressure. It requires tensions and big question marks. And these are the things that tend to shape us the most are the hard things. It's not the, the joyous times that do the most shaping. The details to who we are tend to come out in the worst times possible. And I love this verse in Isaiah because he's referencing this about the people of God. And in chapter 61 of Isaiah, verse 3, he says this, to bestow on them, them as you and I, a crown of beauty, and I love this word, instead of ashes. And the oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of of a spirit of despair. And then he goes on and says, they, that's you and I, will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord's for the display of His splendor. That you and I start like this, and maybe you look at your life and you still see it as something that's unfinished and undone. And maybe you even go a step further and you start using words like invaluable and you think, man, if I, if I could just do something different, my life would just be invaluable. If things would change for me. And so, again, I give you this visual because I want you to know that it's from this place that we pray. It's not from mountaintops where we celebrate and sing songs and anthems and celebrate the finish line. It's from valleys. We pray from our realities, not from figments of what we wish had never happened to us. And I've been in, in, in that, that boat before. God, I wish it had never happened to me. I wish I had never done that. I wish I'd never made that choice. I wish I'd never met that person. I wish this and this and this. I wish I'd never worked there. I wish I'd never moved there. I wish all of these different things. And it, it almost becomes this thought pattern of negativity. And our prayer life takes a terrible turn of wishful thinking rather than prayers of advancement. Like, like, what's next for me? Like, I know where I've been, and your grace has been good, and your mercy has been good, but what about tomorrow? What about the next day? 
What we seek in prayer is betterment. It's depth. It's understanding. These are the things that we want to, as my grandmother used to say, pray through in our lives. She used to use this word with me often. I had no idea what it meant until I became an adult. You know, she would say, you need to pray that, that through. And I was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I know what you mean when I need to pray, but I don't know what pray it through means. And it just meant like praying through something just means like getting involved, rolling your sleeves up, going to God, wrestling it out, just saying, this is what I want. This is what I need from you. This is where I feel like you want me to go, and I am going to move myself into alignment with your will and be happy about it and be pleased with it. So I want to start today by talking about two significant questions. I think as we enter a week of prayer and fasting, we ask ourselves these two things and we come up with the answers for them to bring us clarity on how this week could shape out for us. The first question is this, when you pray, what do you expect from God? Now, this may seem shallow or superficial, but I want you to think about it. When you pray, what are you expecting? Are are, are you that person who thinks just the act of prayer, just saying something, talking to God, no matter what it is, is where it ends for you? So you kind of Look at it like a job. This is what Christians do. We, we pray. So we talk to God, and so we tally it up. You know, we spent 30 minutes in prayer. That ought to give me some credits, some heaven credits. And then I get to spend those, you know, cash them in. But do we expect to be answered? And again, I'm not trying to be superficial. I want to know. I I want you to know what your spirit, the stance of your spirit really is. When you pray, do you really expect an answer? Because some of you may not. You may think, I'm just going to do all the talking and, and that's it. God may be a good listener, but he's not a good talker. And so when I when I pray, I don't expect an answer. Do you expect to be rectified or defended? You expect God to come to your aid or your cause or not? Do you expect miracles? And I I am from a school of thought that has become a belief of mine that God can do it. He can do anything. Nothing is impossible for Him. We can pray for the miraculous. Do we expect that? Do we expect when we pray to find a solution? Because for some of you, a week of prayer and fasting, one thing comes to your mind, and it's, I need an answer to something. I need resolve. I need wisdom and guidance. I need God to navigate me. And that's what immediately comes to the front of your mind is thinking about that particular process. And so do you expect this week to actually get a solution? What do I do next? What do I do about about this thing that it seems like I've come to the end of myself? I don't know how to do it. None of my friends know how to do it. It's uncommon ground to me. I don't have any context for it. Don't have anybody to go and seek wisdom on it. Nobody seems to know what to do in this particular circumstance. God, I've got to have you. Do we expect a solution? 
or could be that you expect nothing. Now, I want you to be okay in this moment with that answer, that right now you pray and you expect nothing because we've all been in that spot at one point in our lives at least. I'm praying. My faith is so low and life has been so brutal and tough or whatever you want to throw in there, the adjective to describe your circumstance, that it's left you kind of empty void of faith. And so you continue to pray, but the expectation is so terribly low. That may be where where you are. So prayer is central to our experience of God. And when we don't pray, listen, we are given over to a philosophy of God rather than to the power of God. Are y'all with me? So when we don't pray, and we're not experiencing the presence of God and the power of God in our life, there's only one other thing to do, and that's to tether ourselves to the philosophy of God. Well, I'm not really experiencing His presence. I'm not experiencing His power. Therefore, right now, all I have are my own thoughts about God, and therefore my thoughts become the strongest thing in my life. And then we fall into this place where we're critical, and unteachable, and the Bible loses its authority in your life because we're just anchored to philosophy. Whatever feels good, whatever makes sense, whatever adds up, and God is very clear. He says, listen, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are higher than than, than, than yours. And there's got to be some peace in that, right? There's got to be some peace that we don't understand God. We understand this block of wood. We can dissect it. We can put it under a microscope. And if I could take God and do the same thing with Him, He would not be God. I would be. When you can break Him apart and figure the whole thing out, what makes Him God is that He's grand and amazing Manifold. The Bible says glory to glory to glory to glory. Just when you think you got it, a page gets turned. That's why we'll spend our entire lives chasing Him and still get to heaven shocked and in awe of of what's going to happen. The second thing is this. When you pray, are you expecting outcomes that God never promised? Now, this was tough on Christians, and it's even worse on westernized Christians. Are we expecting outcomes that God never promised us? Okay, now this is going to be hard for saints, so just buckle up. Do we expect, because we're westerners or because we are followers of Jesus, that we should have a life of privilege? that something should not happen to us because we are Christians, Western Christians. Everything we need is a click away. I was so glad to figure out that DoorDash came to our city. Can I get an amen? 
I told Robbie years ago, I'd be a millionaire if I could just figure out how to get prime restaurants to bring me food. And they beat me to it. I love it. Westernized privilege. Some of us did not even go to a single store and you spent $2,000 on gifts for Christmas. You went to a great little site called Amazon and you were just like, I like that, click, like that, put in the cart, 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 cart. Then you put your thumbprint on your computer and bought it. Amazing. And sometimes we go to God with the same thing, right? Heaven.com, I want that and that. That's good. It's good. Take a, I'll take a raise and some weight loss. Thumbprint. It's not working. Privileged life. Man, I look around sometimes. It's so good for us to look at a global perspective sometimes and see that some kids don't have shoes, but they want them. Some people don't have clean drinking water, but they want it. And it's troublesome to go, we're praying prayers of privilege. Like, God, I deserve this. I deserve this in my life. I mean, do we really expect to live forever? You know, sometimes people go through a grieving process, and I want to be very sensitive here. Now, the reason this is coming out right here is because I've had to go through my own. But I start to think about, I mean, death is the gate. It's, it's the door by which we enter eternity. We got to go through it. Scripture tells it's appointed unto man once to do it. The death rate is 100% accurate. And so we can't be angry at God that we lose people. It's never in the right timing, ever. Right? You never get enough time with a kid or a spouse or a parent. You never get enough time. But are we praying against things that are already in motion from the will of God? Do we expect a life to put its best foot forward? I tell you this often because sometimes it's where I'm, I'm living. It's like, man, why can't I have like a solid quarter? Like January, February, March, a solid quarter of everything just smooth. Like three months, 90 days. But then I think, man, maybe we need to explore our, our theology on that. Hebrews 11, to me, is always a great reminder of this. And I, I, I want to bring this up just, just to give us a reset, okay? That's all it is. Hebrews 11, 35 through 39, watch this. This is talking about believers. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning, sawed in two. I bet they're talking about this in kid life today. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated, the world not, not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground 
and they were commended for their faith. Man, these are people serving God, loving God. You look back on some of our forefathers, you look back at at how all of our apostles were martyred save one. You look back at at the early church about the torture that, 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 that happened here. Jesus even told him in Matthew 24, 9, you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. This is why people, when you're reading, when you're reading your Scripture, people were going, I think I'm out on this one. It's why it says, and people walked away. They, they, they couldn't do it. They couldn't fathom it. That for me to serve you means I'm going to be hated and flogged and sawn in too. No, thank you. And they walked off. Here's what the early followers taught us. That the promise has to be greater than the pain. The promise of what God wants to do with us. The shaping. The development that comes only by by prayer that brings us into alignment with the perfect will of God for our lives. That prayer, that alignment, the promise has to be bigger than any pain. Because if it's not, you'll quit. If it's not, your family will quit. If it's not, our friends will quit. They will stop serving God. They will become part of the de-churched. If we don't get that in our heart, that the pain of it does not even come close to the promise. Where you are is not who you are. And if your promise does not supersede your pain, you will live from the surface rather than from the source. You will live from the emotional construct of your life, jumping from one joyous occasion to the next and freaking out every time there's there's a trial or something terrible to come to come your way. The reason some strong people of faith and strong followers can consistently follow Christ is because they understand this principle. There's something bigger in motion, bigger than my pain, bigger than my sorrow, bigger than grief, bigger than this illness, bigger than this circumstance, bigger than anything that I can put out here and talk about. There's a promise that's bigger, and I want to live from that source. So how do we pray? Well, I want to take a quick look at this, very quick at what we call the Lord's Prayer, and it's found in Luke chapter 11. The context here, keep in mind, is that the apostles have just said, teach us to pray. I'm going to break this down in 60 seconds, but I want you to maybe explore it sometime this week during your meditation. Let's look at it really quick. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a lot of our Father, your name, your kingdom, your will. This is about position. This is about saying, our Father who is in heaven. This is not a point of saying, who is separated from us. It's, it's, it's a glory statement of saying, you oversee it. You have dominion over all of it. Your hand spans the universe. You see everything. There is no mystery in you. 
You know everything that's going on in my life. You see it full well. Holy is your name, your kingdom, your will. This is, a, this is a place of position. It's saying you are leading this thing. It's not me. It is your. Your kingdom, your will, your name. This is a, is a place in our lives of submitting to authority. And we have a culture that is snowballing that no longer ha- knows how to live this way. To say, I'm not going to do something because God doesn't like it. And he is leading my life. And I submit to his authority. This is how, how, how this prayer starts. The next part is give us our daily bread. Provision. Provide for me. There's nothing wrong with you asking for that. God, feed us, clothe us, shelter us, move us forward. There's big dreams in me. Provide those things. Provide, provide, provide. Nothing wrong with asking for that. And then it goes on. Forgive us our sin as we forgive those who sin against us. Penitence. God, I pray forgiveness over my life. If I've done something, if I've thought something, forgive me, cleanse me. Purge me. These things are great, great prayers. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from from evil. This is a request to be pastored, to be navigated. You see the path. Keep me clear of being tempted. Deliver me from evil. Take me out of it. Let me run from it. Such a great prayer. And then it ends with this, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's about praise. It's just part of our, of, of our, our prayer. So it's position and provision and penitence and pastoring and praise. This is what Jesus was trying to teach is go to God with this kind of heart. The third point is this, prayer is about both process and persistence. It's about process and persistence. I got caught in a trap for a long time where I thought prayer was really about me having the fortitude to beg God to do something. And I would have something in my life and I would, I would want it. I'm not talking about like material things. I'm talking about things of importance. And I would beg and plead and beg and plead and beg and beg and beg and beg and beg. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, please, 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 please. I'm begging you, I'm begging you, I'm begging you. Now what I'm about to say is, is going to be tough. Now you, you take it or, or, or leave it, okay? Because where I'm, I'm entering into an area called Kevinology, it has to come with a warning, a disclaimer. Craig Groeschel said, I'm always going to tell you when I'm giving you my, my opinion and I'm not giving you Scripture. This is one of those times. For me personally, the Holy Spirit started to deal with me. I'm, I'm not a pauper. Like, I'm, I'm a son. And I can't tell you one single time, maybe three and four years old when I don't remember, going to my father, my earthly father, oh, please, oh, please, oh, please, maybe, you know, candy in the store. Oh, okay, please. 
But when I see him, I'm 47 almost. I don't, I don't go to him and please. I love your truck. Can I please drive it for a day? No. We have an open policy. My dad says, "This is why you know people. My my close friends make fun of me because I don't have any tools." But see, the the joke is on them. Because I got every tool. It's just not in my house. So I go to my dad's. I get what I want. Why? Because I'm a son. I don't go over there and throw myself on the floor and move myself to tears. And the Lord began to deal with me about that position of praying. And so do you know what I do often? Now, this is where it's really going to get hard for some of you. And you're going to go, I don't know if that's Scripture or not. So this is for me. I will often ask God for something once. One time. Because I know He heard it. I know He hears it. I have to believe that. And I think it's dangerous and it's sick theology to go, okay, I'm going to have to go back and beg 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 and plead. Now, I'm not talking about a process. I'm not talking about patience. I'm not talking about growing our faith. But I am talking about making prayer a point of begging and not so much a place of conversation. This is why a lot of you, and I'm being careful here, This is why. let, let me back up and say some of you despise prayer. It's not fun for you because it's begging. It's not conversational. It's, it's, not, it, it's, it's not personal. It was you going in, kicking and screaming, wanting and pleading and begging, and if you didn't get it, it just created more tension in your faith. And now to have a whole week focused on that is exhausting to you. Jesus prays for this man in Bethsaida. And I, I want you to look at this. This is one of the of the scriptures that stump me, okay? And it's just, it, it, it will stump you because it's so isolated. But watch what he says in Mark chapter 8, 24. It says, he looked up and said, this is Jesus, he's, played, he's prayed for a blind man, and he says, I see people, they look like trees walking around, so tall and skinny people. And he says, I'm just kidding about that. Once more, Jesus put his hands in the man's eyes, and then they were open, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Meaning this, Jesus prayed twice. Bizarre twist. Strange. There's something about persistence and the process of it, of, of going, God, finish what you started in me. Put me back under the knife. Take me back into your hands. Shape me a little more. I see trees walking. What I need is more clarity. So do it again. I recommit this area of my life. I thought I'd beat it, but I haven't. I thought I was so disciplined, but I'm not. So I willingly, through prayer, come back into your hands. And I know you got a will for me. I know you do. But keep shaping me. Keep, keep developing me. 
It's not a lesson on the power of God, but a lesson on the process of prayer. Now let me end, end with this. The last thing I want to talk about is this. It's not how you pray, but that you pray. And some of you are hung up on this. Okay, so I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to make you leave better today. Some of you think prayer has to look a certain way, feel a certain way, do certain things. Man, I want to preach this for 30 minutes. Because it's tearing churches apart. Denominations have stared at each other and said, that's not how, how you do it. This is how you do it over here. This has been something that's gone on through our entire history. This is, isn't a new issue. But, but we think prayer has to be a certain way. It's, it's not how you pray, it's that you pray. I've told you this many times, but my parents raised me in a Pentecostal church. I don't regret that. But all the pretty girls were at First Baptist. So in Little Rock, I would beg and plead, can I please go to youth group at First Baptist Church? Why? I just want to seek God there. Incredible student ministry. It's a beautiful thing over there. And I noticed this. Pentecostals, when, when we pray, we pray in what's called concert prayer. And that means everybody hops in at one time. So there's a dozen of you, and you're all like, oh, Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Praying. It can be powerful. But I noticed when I got to the youth group at First Baptist Church, they prayed in sequence. It was like, I'm going to start. Then you're going to go. Then you're going to go. Then you, and then you're going to finish it. Everybody know the plan? A, B, C, D. You got it? Now, you're D. Don't hop in at B. Okay, we pray in sequence. And I was so wigged out by that. You know, number one, the prayer was so long. So, you know, everybody went around the circle and prayed. There are some churches that do guided prayer and scripted prayer, and that means that, that they're, the prayers are already there for them. So they just recite them. They talk them out, or maybe, maybe the, the teacher or pastor or elder says something, and then the congregation repeats it. And then you got kids. I, mean, I don't know if you've ever heard a, a kid pray, but it's amazing. I, I, I wrote down, I used to write down a lot of Riley's early prayers, and I pulled this one out for this week. This was one of her first prayers uh, to pray out loud. Jesus' name, Pentecostal. Jesus' name, Jesus Christ, go tell it on the mountain. You know, I'm kneeling down, I'm like, amen, thank you, Jesus. Woo, thank you. And I remember one, <laughs> one time, I was laughing at this early this morning about this. I told I said, Riley, you did such a good job cleaning your room. And she said, yeah, I bet Jesus is proud too. And then I said, he's always proud of you. And I walked off and she responded like, like if, if a cat could talk and had a voice, that's how she talked. She was like, you're welcome, Jesus. That's what she said. 
You're welcome, Jesus. Here's the good news. Okay, I'm talking about it's not how, it's that. The good news is this. God can interpret your soul. Come on, y'all, this is good. He can interpret the core of who you are. Sometimes you're going to go to God and not speak a word. You're just going to cry and ache and moan, and He knows full well what it means. Some of you go to God and you feel like you've got to be articulate and use these words of grandeur. And for you, that, that's a thing of honor and reverence. God knows it. Some of you are just country. And you go to God and you're like, Lord, I just need you to help me. You know? But he, he, heard, he hears it. He knows it. <laughs> okay? He knows that's a Joe Lake prayer right there. I just need you to help me. You know, he, he gets it. He knows it. He's not scared of you. He's not intimidated by, by you. You can be hurt. Man, when Lazarus' sisters come out there, that just about went the wrong direction. She, I can see her finger out. If you had been here, he knows what that means. I've prayed mad before. I've prayed hurt before. I've prayed happy before. I've prayed myself happy before. He knows you. Just, just pray. Don't get caught up on how somebody else does it. How, how your favorite leader or most influential person in, in, in your life does it. That's how they pray. You pray. You do it. I'm going to pray for freedom in this area for us, but just to make one, one more thing. There's several opportunities we've talked about for you to get involved this week. We're going to have some devos online. We're going to have lunch prayer here, 11 to 1, open. So come, bring your lunch. You can eat here. Come in for prayer. We're just trying to accommodate. And then we're going to have night, night of worship next Sunday night. We'll have communion next, next Sunday, break our fast. Some of y'all are hoping for an extra large cracker. Okay, I can make that happen. Just send me a text. When you go out today, we're going to hand you these cards where you, you can write down your prayers for this, this week or for the year, whatever you're expecting God to do. Put them on your fridge, your mirror, your visor, your car, whatever you want to do as a reminder our week of prayer and dedication to God. All right? Let's bow our heads today.